In this podcast episode, I tell my personal story of encountering Germany and German culture as a college teacher and a resident of the East German city of Halle an der Zala. In 2007-2008, I was a guest professor at the 800-year-old Martin Luther Universität located in that city. I was there as a Fulbright senior scholar working for the U.S. State Department. My responsibility was to assist with people to people exchanges between our two countries to help the citizens of both better understand each other and better understand each other's culture. I was to explain American culture from my personal perspective to Germans in the former communist-controlled East Germany, and then on my return home to explain German culture to Americans. This podcast episode is a part of that effort. Although my German semester is 10 years behind me now, one becomes a Fulbrighter for life. And I think that it is more important than ever now that Americans and Germans come to appreciate our similarities, differences, and the place of the other in our shared commitment to freedom and democracy. I taught in the American Studies Department of the UNI, as the university is called, I was there on the invitation of the director of the department, Hans-Jürgen Graba. As a result, I taught all classes in English to German students fluent in both their language and mine. I taught courses in my specialty in American history, 20th century politics and memory. I had a very light teaching load so that I could travel the region of the former East Germany speaking to local audiences about America and its politics, the run-up to the presidential election of 2008 being the hot topic at the time. Halle is a city to the south of and about 90 minutes by train from the capital Berlin, so I was able to take many trips to that often un-German capital city to get immersed in the broad spectrum of Germany's history and culture. There is so much that I learned that semester that I otherwise would never have known about Germany. Halle is a walking city, at least central Halle is, and we, my wife accompanied me, rented an apartment in the city center within a 10-minute walk of the university. It had been just 18 years since the fall of the Berlin Wall, less than a generation, and the city still bore the scars of that time. Scars that were not just physical, but attitudinal. Before I talk about Halle, though, let me tell you about my initial introduction to Germany and what it is like to be shocked by an instant transition from one culture, America, to a decidedly different one, that of the former East Germany. A tourist to Europe experiences some of the same shock as we did. But for most tourists, it is often mitigated by intermediaries, translators, and interlocutors, such as guides and bus drivers, of which we had none. After taking the free bus, Germany's government being left of center and generous in its provision of services, from the airport to Berlin's Hauptbahnhof, or central train station, we tried to figure out how to get a train to Halle. Actually, we did not get out of the airport bus at the Hauptbahnhof, but at the entrance to the Berlin Zoo station, which is some distance away. 
We had no way to know where we were, where the zoo station was in relationship to the Hauptbahnhof, how to get a ticket there, or how to communicate our wishes. We just knew that we had to get to the central train station to transfer to Halle. In English, of course, I asked a worker at the Deutsche Bahn information desk how to get to the Hauptbahnhof. He replied in German, whether he knew English, I could not tell, and he was simultaneously talking to someone on the phone. As I failed to understand his instructions and even his words, he became angrier, and finally I gave up when I heard him say the following salutation into the phone, and I am not making this up, Heil Hitler. So much for my introduction to 21st century Germany and German customer service. Of course, there were two points of significance about this encounter. First, this man was obviously not typical of the average German, who absolutely would have been appalled at such verboten behavior and who detested the Nazis more than the English and Americans do. Of the dozens of people I came to meet, all but this one man and one other person was welcoming, warm, friendly, open, and democratic in temperament. Of course, this man was not unique either, and maybe slightly more common ten years later with the rise of neo-Nazi elements in the country. Secondly, it provided me the experience that migrants to our own country feel in the face of American anti-foreign bigotry, which, in America too, seems to have gotten worse rather than diminish with the passage of time, and which, in the United States, only my white skin and native birth protect me from. In short, it was a point in common with our two countries, however unpleasant it had been. Once we made our way to the Hauptbahnhof, we managed to get a ticket to Halle. We got the ticket and we boarded the train and started off on our 90-minute journey. The train from Berlin passes through Lutherstadt, which is Luther's city, and Wittenberg, Germany, the place where Martin Luther nailed the declarations of Protestant theology back in the 16th century. Then the next city was Halle. Halle's history is an old one, obviously, and it began life as a medieval salt center. The Zala River is the German word for salt. It was the birthplace of Reinhard Heydrich, who was an architect of the final solution. At the end of World War II, the Americans managed to conquer the city under the famous army brigade Timberwolf. This was quite interesting because technically Halle was supposed to be in the Russian zone. That decision had already been made at Yalta, and yet it was the Americans who liberated Halle. This spared Halle from some of the worst violations of human rights that occurred when the Russians invaded Germany at the end of the war. And so the citizens of Halle had reason to be very grateful to the Americans because their administrative behavior was a lot more tender than that of the Russians elsewhere in the East. But of course, at the very end of the war, the Americans did turn over Halle to the Soviets, 
And so during the entire Cold War, Hala was administered by the Soviets very strictly as a communist city, as were all cities, of course, in East Germany. During the later part of the Cold War, there was some ice broken when the Beatles were invited to go to Halle. The citizens of Halle were so struck by the Beatles, especially the young fans, no doubt, that there was a Beatles museum built in Halle and it's still open today. Now, in terms of the German educational system, German students have to decide by the eighth grade whether they're going to go on a higher education track or a technical track and they really can't make a change in their decision afterwards. They're stuck. If they choose the higher education track, they're in a competitive situation with other students. But if they succeed in admittance into the university system, they do not have to pay for higher education. Of course, a much smaller percentage of the German student age population goes to college than the American student age population. America's educational system being a lot more democratic. Now, in terms of the deportment of Hala citizens in the city of Hala, that was one of the most distinctive things that I noticed. Hala citizens had not changed very much in their demeanor since the East German days. They were gloomy, they had very little familiarity with English, almost nobody spoke English. They went about their daily life in a kind of funk. They were completely self-possessed. They were not interested in much other than their own concerns. They were, of course, not wealthy. They were we would call them lower class in income. And they valued free time more than money. In other words, they didn't work full time, as far as I could tell. And they were out on the streets most of the day, it seemed, especially with long lunch hours. They would attend the market. They would get their daily groceries. They would have to walk to the grocery store. So they would only buy what they could used that particular day. They would look down uh, at the sidewalk. Nobody would look anybody else in the eye. Nobody ever said hello, even in their own language. Russian was spoken with more facility than English. And you really got a sense that there was a difference between what the Germans called Aussies and Vessies. Aussies were Germans in Eastern Germany, and Vessies were Germans in West Germany, or the former West Germany. And these are words that are used by the Germans themselves to describe each other. So these differences still remained. As I said, there was a lot of community in the sense of a lot of people congregating together during the day, especially at lunchtime. Lunchtime lasted from about 10.30 in the morning till about two or even later in the afternoon. As, as I said, free time was valued more than wealth, and the people did not have a lot of money to spend or a lot of places in which to spend it. The bakeries and the low-priced restaurants were quite popular. Prices at the stores were higher in Hala than in America, but so was the quality of the items purchased. Even regular department stores, such as the Galleria Kaufhof, followed this pattern. 
with clothing and shoe costs sky high and quality only marginally so. History's shadow is omnipresent in Hala. The memorialization of the Holocaust everywhere apparent and it offers something for everyone. A city history society has weekly meetings of people who deal with the loss of the culture of East Germany. This is not widely advertised, but it became known to me towards the end of my stay in Germany, and I attended one of the meetings. One of the things you see on the streets of Halle and the streets of other German cities are the Stolpersteine. This word refers to stumbling stones in gold or brass, really, placed by Gunther Demnig, an artist based in Cologne. And he has placed these stumbling stones throughout these various streets of German cities, many of which are in Halle, and they have the names of Jews who were deported from that city. They're generally placed in front of the homes where the Jews who were deported lived, and it shows their birth date and the day they died. And so these stones are little memorials which people encounter in their daily lives. And some German cities welcome the placement of these stones more than other German cities. Halle is very welcoming of these stones, and they're very famous in Germany. In the city of Munich, on the other hand, the stones were banned for many years. They may still be prohibited. The old Jewish synagogue in town, which was only a two-minute walk from my apartment, is immortalized by a vacant lot where it once stood. No signs commemorate its existence. It's almost as if Germans try to remember their past by leaving the ground open and having as minimal notices of what once was there as possible. Memorial is in people's mind, and when they pass by, they can reflect upon it, but it's not really advertised for the outside world. Most German cities, though, do have some sort of official Holocaust memorial of their own. They had a huge memorial that was in the shape of a flag, a furled flag. It's still in the city, but it was once colored red. It was a communist memorial called Der Fahne, which is the flag. Der Fahne is now multicolored, not red, but it still stands. One can visit the old Jewish cemetery and see visible signs of the Holocaust and its denial. Vandalism sometimes occurs, and one can see evidence of such vandalism with a simple visit to the cemetery. Halle's intimate relationship with Nazism makes it hard to forget the Third Reich. Local Nazis enthusiastically participated in the first anti-Jewish boycott in April 1933. And you can see an old movie of this event, which is in the collections of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. The train carrying Anne Frank and her family left Amsterdam and passed through Halle on its way to Auschwitz. So history is something that the citizens of Halle cannot forget, nor can the students at the university. Most citizens of Halle exhibit little interest in and many exhibit less affection for foreigners. American visitors are few and far between in Halle. People of color may be targets for verbal harassment. I saw nothing of the sort, but then I recall seeing no person of color in the city in the five months that I was there.
I can only imagine that if there were people of color who visited, that they may well be targets for such harassment. I was the target of verbal harassment from a pair of young juveniles when they asked me a question and heard my foreign tongue. I am sure I was generally free from such incidents only because I looked and dressed like a well-educated, well-to-do German. One of the cultural mores of the town is for the less educated people to give silent deference to those who are wealthier and more educated by not getting in their way, although this is not to be confused as a sign of respect. Both the lower and the upper class appear to view one another with disdain, but people act as individuals when out in society, and they try to observe social norms, obedience to authority being a cultural norm for the Germans. The people with whom I worked at the university were universally cultured, liberal, humane, democratic, tolerant, and interested in global events. They were more interested in global politics and American culture by far than Americans are of German or European culture. Much recent history that Americans seem to have forgotten or never learned in the first place, if they're young, for example, are either unforgettable to the Germans or taught so regularly that young Germans are forced to remember them. The aftershocks of World War II and the Cold War are everywhere around them. Germany is the preeminent memory culture in the world, a memory culture without parallel, especially if you compare it to a country like Japan, which has worked very, very hard to bury the memory of its World War II past. In Germany, however, the past is everywhere, and it has been memorialized in such a way that Germans are taught that it is important for them to atone for the past, that the German people have a corporate responsibility to atone for what their fathers and grandfathers did not so long ago. This is one of the most fascinating part of my experience. Whenever I went to Berlin, I would see a different memorial from usually from the World War II era. There's a particularly interesting one that is located in the eastern part of the city, just east of the former border, and it is Otto Weitz's Workshop for the Blind. In World War II, Otto Weit was a broom maker who hired Jews who were blind to make brushes for the German army. Because this was necessary for war work, the Jews were allowed to work longer than other Jews in the city of Berlin. Eventually, they were deported. But Otto Weit hid some, and he tried to protect the Jews who worked for him as long as possible. But this workshop has basically been preserved, looking exactly like it once looked. And it is in a, an alley that has not been refurbished. So in an interesting sort of way, it has tremendous verisimilitude. That is, it looks exactly the same. You walk into this alley, and it's like walking back into 1941. However, the flip side of that is that it's possible not to know that this museum is there. If you're a tourist and you're just walking by on the street, you may just interpret this alley to be nothing but 
a sketchy alley that you would never want to go into. There is no sign that says, go here, turn here to visit Otto Weitz's blind workshop. So a lot of museums are like that. They, the Germans are very impressed and very committed to verisimilitude, to making things like they once were. But this also has the effect of confusing tourists. And I think that this is one of the reasons why this particular memorial is not well known in the United States. Now, in terms of the students at the university, they were very well disciplined. The students worked hard. They had great ability. They had an excellent preparation for college. They were ready to do excellent work. And they did write well. But you could tell that they were no different from American college students in that they would have preferred to do less work rather than the amount of work they needed to do. And the quality of their work, while significantly better, was not as high as you would expect with the blessings of their preparation and their hard work in the primary grades. They also seemed to be somewhat tired of hearing about the Holocaust. Now, of course, my classes did not teach about the Holocaust, but I did make reference to the Holocaust in a class on memory and how memory was reinterpreted by Americans given the Depression and the Civil War. And I would make parallel references to the Holocaust because I knew that they were aware of that history and they might find that those connections interesting. But one student told me that she wishes there was a lot less stress on the Holocaust. She wishes that the Holocaust would no longer be stressed so much. She had heard enough about the Holocaust. It's certainly not true that there was an anti-Semitic bone in her body, and her point had nothing to do with denial of the Holocaust. She understood that it was important and needed to be commemorated, needed to be remembered. But she just felt that the Holocaust was connected to everything these days, and she was rather tired of it. Now, whether the other students agreed with her is unclear, but they did not contradict her in any way. So I do think that the younger generation is much like the younger generation here, is ambivalent about the, the omnipresence of the Holocaust in German life. They don't have the same perspective, of course, that their grandparents have, or their parents even. They don't know the reasons why this stress is so persistent. And so there is a possibility that there may be a, a fraying of the commitment of Germans in the future to this long memory of a past which, to their parents and grandparents, is not ancient history at all. So far, we've looked at German culture from the outside looking in. There's no question that when you're first in another culture, you're really not seeing it from the perspective of the people who actually live with that culture every day you're always going to be an outsider. And that's especially true in the case of Germany, which protects its idea of identity very, very 
closely. In our next episode of this two-part series on my Fulbright experience in Hala, we will look at other aspects of the experience that came along not at the beginning of the trip, but towards the end of the trip, including people-to-people discussions in which I shared aspects of American life with others, and they shared aspects of German life with me. Until then, I hope you'll join me for that podcast. My podcasts are on historyrevisited.blueberry.net. That's historyrevisited.blueberry, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, dot net. Until then, happy listening.